last one to the party, the podcast where we check in with someone who's checking out a classic film, long-running TV show, or legendary performer for the very first time. Thank you for joining us once again on Last One to the Party. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we've got about a dozen or so episodes in the can. Please go and leave a review on Apple and give us a rating and all that stuff. It helps raise the profile of the podcast. And if you want to follow us online, you can follow the podcast at Last One to the Party Podcast on Instagram. And you can find us on Twitter at Last One to the PA number one. You can also just search for Last One to the Party and it should show up. Either of those is our online presence. If you want to send us an email full of Corrections, complaints, criticisms, praise, ideas. Send us an email to last one to the party podcast at gmail.com. For this episode, we sit down with writer, performer, director Lisa Timmons. Lisa took part in a National Hispanic Media Coalition and the TV Writing Division. She was also part of the CBS Diversity Showcase a few years back as a writer. As hard as it is to believe, she finally saw Titanic. She was the last one, guys. And she finally did it. And we sit down with Lisa and talk about Titanic. We have uh, our usual little tangents and digressions into the expected one of talking about Celine Dion, but also going off and talking about Alien. That's right, Alien. I know. Aliens is James Cameron, who also directed Titanic, but we talked about Alien. So deal with it. Please enjoy us talking with Lisa Timmons about Titanic. The first question I always am fascinated by, especially with something like Titanic. Yeah, it's iconic. What took so long? (laughs) By box office receipts alone, you would think that every human being alive at the time that this movie came out saw it. So what what was the delay? So I grew up on an army base in Germany from the late 80s until 1997. So the bulk of my childhood was spent overseas. And I went to a German high school the last four years. So I was it was a huge culture shock to be back in the United States. And I moved my senior year to South Georgia. I was so shy that someone at graduation thought that I was a foreign exchange student from Germany. <laughs> so this is 1997. Titanic comes out. I was like very depressed about having to leave Germany. So I didn't have any friends that I could go to see Titanic with because it's a very much like a friend that's a, a movie you go see with your friends. Um, I was 17. So my sisters end up going, I missed that kind of first wave. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm sure I'll see it at some point. And then I just kind of noticed that I hadn't seen it over the years. I've seen so many snippets of scenes on TBS flipping through that. I was like, Oh, I feel like I get the gist of this movie. So many references uh, that I even, I kind of approximated the context of like, oh, there was enough room on the door for Jack Rose. Like all of these weird little things. I knew the jokes. I knew how to use them. But I was like, I still have never seen this movie in its entirety. And then it came out again in theaters in 3D. And I, I actually was thinking about going. <laughs> and then I forgot. It was just a very... The story of me not seeing Titanic is, quite frankly, as long as the movie, it feels like at this point. (laughs) And yeah, so I don't know. I'm 40 years old and I'm seeing Titanic for the first time. (laughs) Having now finally seen it and gotten caught up, I guess the most important question is, was there room on the door for Jack? (laughs) I am team 
yes, there was room on the door. However, would it have held up their weight? There's surface area and then there's buoyancy. Right. I did not begrudge her that for uh, for a single moment. <laughs> You're coming at it late. So you've you've kind of had the ground softened for you, as you mentioned, by knowing some of these references. So you're not coming in with a complete blank slate. But nonetheless, what was the impact that it had for you? I thought that I had seen so many snippets of the movie prior to this that I had already kind of seen all of it out of order. Oh, no, no, no. This three-hour movie <laughs> is so much movie. It's crazy. <laughs> I did not comprehend how long it was. It is so much movie. It is like a, it's like a Met Gala dress. It's so much dress. It's so much movie. When the ship crashed and they said, oh, it'll take us an hour to sink, I paused and saw that there was still an hour and 51 minutes left. So I was like, wait a minute, the ship's going to sink in real time. And then we still got more shit to see. <laughs> what? <laughs> this movie is simply the last hour. I agree. I just want to see the ship sink. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan came out the year following in 98. And that movie is the D-Day invasion. And the rest of it doesn't need to be around. No, it doesn't. I agree. Give me your, your hot take on all of the Jack and Rose and whatever Billy Zane's character's name was and all of that. I took notes. And I think, I believe it was around minute 27 where we meet the protagonist and antagonist oh, girl. of this damn movie. There's 30 minutes of movie before we meet Jack and Rose who are on the poster. Yeah, we have we have bookends. I mean, it's in the middle a little bit, but they're like bookends, just like Saving Private Ryan, which I'm like, we can cut this. I don't think we need this. So much, so many cuts. It's funny because I just kind of started powering through. At a certain point, I felt like I was just like, okay, you got to get through this. You can do this. You can just sit through this movie. It's always a great sign when you have to psych yourself up to keep watching a movie. I was so, well, I got to this place where I was like, wait a minute. In my head, I'm now mapping the Titanic onto coronavirus because I'm like, the rich people out in these boats have enough room, but they don't care. And then the poor people are fighting among each other. And then at the beginning, when they first announce that the ship is sinking, everyone is super chill about it. And just like, I'm fine. Oh, this boat. Ooh, don't forget my parasol. I was like, okay, now I feel like I'm I'm making this movie my coronavirus pandemic movie. I love it. I, lo I love that jump. Thank I'm you. with you. I feel like you may have brought more urgency to it than it ever had. <laughs> just by the timing of it, by waiting yes. these oh my God, you know, right. 23 years, you bring some <laughs> currency to it now that it never, some symbolism that it, that it was lacking. I'm like, it's an allegory for our times. <laughs> James Cameron is a visionary. He would tell you that. He would say that to you. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Something that struck me that I don't know if anyone else has ever commented on. Maybe this is a trope that I just haven't heard of. Bill Paxton's character insists on calling it Titanic instead of the Titanic. Like he's so tight with Titanic that like 
the V is left behind. Well, he's been pursuing her for so many years. He knows her. <laughs> that, that's Mrs. Titanic to you, sir. <laughs> that's Madame Titanic. <laughs> Mademoiselle Titanic. <laughs> May he rest in peace, Bill Paxton, but that hair. I love they spent so much time to bleach his hair out so we know that he's always on the sea. <laughs> And the big earring, the big hoop <laughs> earring. And then he has like this weird surfer dude kind of yes. accent. Yes. <laughs> but, oh, okay, another factor in me not seeing this movie was my sister had a huge crush on Leonardo DiCaprio. I did not. I thought he had this big old baby pumpkin head on this little body. And I just was like, uh, I'm not trying to see Kate Winslet's boobs. So there's nothing in this movie designed for me. <laughs> the people I know that love it, and clearly people love it. People love this movie. They love it. I'm with you, not I. Um, I also tried to watch it again, so I was like, oh, I think I remember it. I had seen it. I fast-forwarded it through until the boat goes down. The The boat going down is astounding. Like I'm like, this should, it could be a 45-minute movie, and I'd still give it a bunch of Oscars. So I would say I think the love story is what people like. So I'd love to hear your take on the love story. Because this movie's three hours long, <laughs> I'd actually seen pretty much the love story scenes, most of those. Those were the snippets I think I saw. So I feel like I already had a pretty strong opinion about it before. I kind of didn't care. I didn't, I was like, I'm not attracted to Billy Zane. He's so, he's Mr. Monopoly slash Mr. Peanut with a toupee in this movie. And and Leonardo DiCaprio, I would have never thought he was attractive until The Departed. Girl, we are the same person. Thank you. I was like, oh, you finally grew into your head. Yeah, you finally grew into your head. I agree a thousand times. When I saw The Departed, I was like, oh, he, I get it. He's hot now. Get it. But he had an age. Yeah. He had an age. Yeah, exactly. I was not. He has a baby body, too, which I've always forgotten. <laughs> Me, too. And in this movie, I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm going to get arrested if I am attracted to you. You look like a baby <laughs> and she is so voluptuous and gorgeous and has a beautiful body oh yeah she's she's, perfect. she's always been great she's in one of my favorite movies of all time heavenly creatures so like i always like whatever she's doing she can do no wrong i agree she can do no wrong i also i'm gonna throw this to you too i feel like is it a timing a hundred yes like if you had seen this movie 100%. okay go into that like you've been 22 and seeing this movie or 18 right oh my god if we're setting the scene it is 1997 guys delia's is in full force <laughs> we are <laughs> we are just very much super excited about cgi i feel like that's when movies started being made where it's like hey look what we can do <laughs> and not as like you know the story wasn't as important i don't feel like as much was required to be like a movie that really captured everyone's attention a lot of people are talking about the last dance with julia styles and analyzing the dance that she did that was hip-hop that got her into Juilliard at the end, the grand finale. <laughs> that dance is so easy for anyone to do. It's very doable. And this is that was the era that we were in which we existed. I think also with Titanic, it was possibly, I don't know if I'm forgetting something, but you know, Jurassic Park was in 93 and that was a big movie. But that kind of fills the the niche of big 
sort of fantasy monstery kind of a movie, which is not that unusual. But this was a huge romance movie. Yes. That epic uh, Gone with the Wind-ish kind of romance, which I think had been missing for a long time. And I wonder if that wasn't what drew people to it. Because again, I I don't remember being as bored when I saw it when it first came out. But when Jess put it on, I checked out. I was like, bye. I got to go. <laughs> Let me know when the ship is sinking. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You you know, I think you've hit the nail on the head because now this is why I think about this movie is so successful. And this is why it's also three hours long because they were like, let's just make a fully formed romance, drop it into the middle of a disaster movie. I feel like this was the era of the disaster movie. Apex. Like that was one, you know how it always comes and goes and comes and goes. Oh, because we had Y2K around the corner, guys. Because because it also happened around 2012. Like this whole idea of chaos and, you know, explosion. I can't, I, but I think you're right. I think they were like, we're going to get women with the romance. The guys will get, like the straight men will get with the boobs. And then also everybody's going to be excited because this is going to be a crazy ass disaster movie with CGI like no one's seen before. And it's cl- the classic kind of melodrama with Billy Zane as the almost cliche bad guy, you know, all he needed was a mustache to twirl and, and her being the rebellious woman rebelling against the constraints of her time to go with the poor pauper who's full of spunk and plucky ideas. The part where Billy Zane is so mad that even though Rose and Jack are like clearly running to like probably a watery death, he's like, no, let me get this gun and like make sure that they die. <laughs> Well, I guess that he wanted the jewel. Oh, that's right. He wanted the jewel. There's no subtlety to the movie at all, which I think also doesn't have it age well. I mean, again, that's why Kate Winslet is better than the material. And I like Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, I think he's very, even though I don't find him at, at that stage, he's still, he looks like a 14-year-old, but he is still very charming. Like, you get the star quality of the two of them together. You're absolutely right. To really think about, they had amazing chemistry. Those two clearly had a good time together. They were, the on-camera chemistry was fantastic. Also, let us not forget this damn Celine Dion song, My Heart Will Go On. That song, that song still is so powerful and insanely beautiful. I feel like it was just like the perfect connection of like Kate Winslet at her, like in her young on the rise, this is her becoming a star, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, becoming a star, watching that happen together. And then Celine Dion fucking, you know, just becoming a legend. And that song is also melodrama. That song is as huge as a song gets with that kind of theme to it. You know, it's all so enormous and epic. I think it's it's kind of inescapable. In it. I'm with you. She took it to the stars and beyond. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, Celine Dion is a hat on a hat on a hat on a hat. That being said, when she hits it right, when you get Celine the right hat to wear on top of her four other hats, it's like there's no one better, right? Like she, and she's not my faves, but that song and her, it's a perfect marriage. I kept thinking, I wish the song, I can't believe we have to wait till the end to hear her sing the song. That's the best part of the movie. Is her singing the song. Like if Celine Dion had been in the movie, I would have watched it way sooner. <laughs> sing the ship, sing the song. Let's get out. Yes. Please keep in mind, I was a woman who had not seen Glitter, uh, Glitter, had not seen Titanic till now, but I owned Glitter on DVD and watch the director's cut. 
I'm very familiar with that movie. You're also a huge Celine Dion fan. I love Celine Dion. Well, what happened is somebody once uh, pointed out that a picture of 90s short hair Celine Dion, Dion kind of looked like me, or I looked like her. And then I, um, I've always loved, she's so fun because she's such a dork. And also the, one of the most amazing true vocalists on the planet. <laughs> and yet she's the biggest cornball. For me, she's the kind of singer who is a giant enormous powerful sword she's not the kind of sword that you use in one of those three musketeers duels that is full of finesse she comes in and she just chops things into big old chunks oh she does and she i mean she has such control and range but also think about like maria Callas and how much cooler she was and she was an opera singer (laughs) like she was no dork she was a cool lady i don't say that to denigrate that style of singing that is that is no small feat that takes a lot of not even just physical energy you have to i feel like she probably has to really get into character fully when she sings any of those songs because if you're kind of just trying to like i'm gonna do this song now no it's not gonna fly you have to be on it the way de niro gets into a part you know you can't you can't just think i'm gonna sing now no, it's all very it's analog, on or off. <laughs> That's hundred percent true. Yeah, she is because all and all of her songs are epic. She doesn't sing like a you know a little cute pop song. Oh <laughs> my god! No, <laughs> I love how much of this is now dedicated to talking about. Dion. I knew I kind of suspected that might happen. You know me, Jess. I know. I knew it would happen and I wanted it to happen because I have to tell you, the rest of the movie is uh, to me boring. And like we said, I think we should talk about the other than like the two great stars. Like you, I love that you said like they're on their ascent and that is exciting and they're both charismatic and clearly they had charisma and yes. Let's talk about the boat sinking. I mean, to me, right, when that boat goes straight up and down and was flying down, I was like, this is amazing. Like, I'm in. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like I didn't need the, first of all, I didn't need any of the present day stuff. If we would have just showed the boat sinking and then maybe like a quick little montage of Jack and Rose's relationship. I feel like this could have been a really fun hour and a half. I agree. I mean, the boat also, I like all the stuff. It's also amazing because they built a whole set where they were running through that water, right? That's not CGI. And it's amazing when they're running down the hallways and like the, when the water comes bursting through, I'm like, this is awesome. Like once the boat starts sinking, which it takes too long to get there, it is, that's the part you're like, this is amazing. Yeah. It, it's so beautiful. I saw that movie twice in the theater solely for the sinking of the ship because it was so impactful. It surrounds you on a big screen. It just engulfs you. Everything that's happening is overwhelming. And the second time, I remember going to see it the second time and just really suffering through the whole movie. Just, okay, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. And just finally that boat sinks again and it is just gripping it's again the for me the it is hand in hand with saving private ryan and that invading the beach at d-day 
you know, you get through the, the, the present day thing, they flash back to D-Day, watch all of that, and then turn it off because the rest of it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And when you see that on a big screen too, it just overwhelms you. I'm I, When I saw Private Ryan the first time, because I, I saw that one twice too, saw that the first time in the theater, I was sobbing during that D-Day thing because it was so overwhelming. Titanic didn't make me sob other than sobbing for the three hours of my life that I'll never get back. Do you, <laughs> do you feel like that it even... You know, our screens are big now, so that's good. You're not watching this in 2001 on a, you know, 24-inch TV. Uh, but do you feel like it, it was able to captivate you in, in that way? Oh, it was beautiful CG, CGI porn, basically. And the, the boat is amazing. The part where the people are falling in the water and, like, that is that was that was really, really cool to see. Um and just the mass of people. There were so many times where I got pulled out of the movie just because, but I don't know if that's just me because, you know, we work in entertainment, we do behind the camera stuff, but I kept hitting my boyfriend on the arm and going, that's so many extras. That is so many extras. That's so expensive. Every every penny is on that screen. Yes. Just the, just the detail, just on the boat itself, like the, the glamour of the boat, the detail of the boat. Like he spent, he like got the same exact China. Like he did it like right like he gave us he gave you titanic realness and i am oh, thankful yes. for that i just wish he gave it to us and then like just that part i'm glad you brought that up because that sounds like he was focused very heavily on making it super authentic meanwhile i immediately googled monet picasso painting titanic and no that didn't happen at all and i just was like did we not have an easier less inauthentic way that would draw super crazy attention to historical inaccuracy. Was there not another way to demonstrate that Jack was an artist and she appreciated art? <laughs> I'm with you. We could, she could have any painting. And you know, I'm only saying that because we pointed out that he managed to get the exact right China for this. <laughs> and he spent all that money like going down to the Titanic and like shooting the actual Titanic for the beginning and the end of the movie. I'm with you. So he's doing all that. And yet he's like, oh, throw some Monet's in and some Picasso's. You're like, what? This is more of a, a nerdier, uh, you know, technical mistake. But when Neil deGrasse Tyson saw Titanic when it came out, he talked to James Cameron after the, the preview or, or whatever it was. And he said, you got the sky wrong. He had the stars wrong in the sky. And so Cameron was just like, it aided him. And so when they remastered it, however many years later for DVD, Blu-ray, all of that stuff, they went in and fixed the sky. Oh my goodness. But they left the Monet Picasso. Oh, my behind the scenes, because there was a friend of mine, this woman I know from New York at the time, her friend from her acting class or whatever was cast in the Titanic. She played the maid. She played, or the whatever, lady in like the, the handmaid to Kate Wynn. And so she got all this like back behind the scenes story and like how they would shoot that, you know, when the uh, ship's going down and it was freezing cold and they put Kate Winslet and, you know, she's wearing just that dress and that coat and like, she's freezing and they had her do it over and over again. Like just in that, like just, just like miles of this watery, you know, these corridors he made. I thought, Oh my God. So when I watch it now, I'm kind of like, this is amazing, but also poor Kate Winslet. Like how many takes is this in where she's, been dropped into this thing and you know james cameron's not 
uh, what would we say? Uh, he's not a great lover of women. He apparently would call her Kate Weighs a Lot. Oh my God. You mean the man who presented a movie where it's not till 10 minutes in that there's the first woman on the screen? I know, get out. But, you know, stuff like that. So I thought that was interesting. And then, yeah, just them like flying. To, I know I already said that, but I love that shot when they're flying out. And oh, this is kind of dark. Well, it just is dark, not kind of. I feel like when they're falling off the ship, isn't it just like now where we are in today? To me, it's like flashbacks of 9-11. I really had that this time. I was like, oh. You guys are New Yorkers. I can't claim to have been impacted in the same way yeah. from Richmond Hill, Georgia. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. The other thing that was dark but not evocative of uh, 9-11 is in the aftermath, after the boat is down, and they're just struggling to stay alive in the water. And they're just these people scattered in the water. And when she starts weakly blowing that whistle, to me, that that to me was such a great choice because it felt authentic in that I think in other Titanic movies that preceded this, or if, you know, in lesser hands, it would have been her, you know, oh, Jack sank to the bottom of the ocean and others, oh, I hear a boat and she would blow that whistle and you'd hear it strong, right? That's the cliche version. But the way they did it, it was almost as though they're not going to hear that. She's not going to make it. This is really terrifying. All of the people struggling and struggling to get in the boats. And that whole part was kind of a, a second wave of, I don't know, intensity with the immediate aftermath of the boat sinking that really hit me. Well, you know what it is? This mo movie is just so aggressive. Most of the movie to have a tiny quiet moment is so jarring. It's nothing but bombast in terms of character and plot and then special effects. And then you're right, this this absence of all of that, really you just fill in that gap. It's the quietest part of the movie. The rest of the movie is just, you're here. And then it's like, suddenly no one's there. <laughs> I agree, James, like how frozen she is. Like you get, they, they do a great job of showing how freezing that they're the, I feel like that they're in the middle of the Atlantic. Like this is horrifying. <laughs> um, this is the other thing I want to talk about. So Frances Fisher plays her mother and she's also broadly drawn. Uh, but Frances Fisher is very good at, I think, being a, a cold lady. She's always, they cast her in that a lot and she does it very well. Um, Kathy Bates, who is perhaps, top five for me favorite actors of all time genius i was like now did they write her a real part and they just cut her out like why do you bring her to this movie to do absolutely nothing and then you call her the unsinkable molly brown and they demonstrate it by she's in a boat that doesn't sink and that's it anyone else on that boat with her could have gotten that nickname in that moment like because kathy bates is just the best like every time she's on screen i'm like oh this is what you need in the movie. <laughs> like she's in these tight, like at when Jack comes to like the fancy dinner and she's helping him out. She's, she is so charismatic. I'm like, I want to know more about her. And then on the boat at the end, when she's like, there's more room, go back. Her acting, she's better than anybody. <laughs> See, I'm like, she's amazing. She's a, she transcends whatever she's in. But also as you're saying this, I'm remembering a, a slew of other characters. That's another thing this movie has. Too many damn characters. The Italian guy. Oh, my God. By the way, this movie is so white. I was like, oh, wow. We don't even in modern day. Yes, they couldn't oh, scrounge yeah. up anybody not white. <laughs> it was, it's, it's very, I mean, 
yeah, it's so funny. I was just like, damn, this movie is a real white. And um, at one point, and they keep saying they're slaves. I was like, please stop saying slaves. Please stop saying you're slaves. Please stop saying that. Jack referring to himself as the slave. Oh, 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 I was just like, oh, well, yeah, I guess there weren't any black people there. So that was cool to say for you guys, huh? <laughs> Apparently no one was of color behind the scenes either. There was, I counted, there was like one, I believe, Indian family that they rushed, ran past near the end. And I think the Italian character is the closest thing we'll get to like. To be fair, he was Southern Italian. (laughs) I thought he was Mario Brothers Italian. (laughs) I did too. I was like, why is he talking like that? Right. I mean, it felt like a bad, it felt like me doing an improv scene where I'm like, are you coming over here to get your dinner? It's me, Mario. It also begs the question of how did this Italian guy end up in England wanting to go to the States? Or maybe that was the path that people took. I don't know. Why wouldn't he go to the... Also, remember, they're at a, was it a poker game of four people, none of whom spoke the same language. But everybody inexplicably had just met and understood everybody perfectly. I mean, that's just one scene in this crazy movie that is all... There's all these little MacGuffin moves of how we get from one point to the next. When Jess put it on to rewatch it, I find myself wanting to see the movie about the two Swedes who lost their tickets on the Titanic (laughs) and how like the guy punches the one guy. And I feel like four days later when the news is that the Titanic sank, the other guy would punch him. Be like, I saved your life by betting those tickets. <laughs> the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yes, it's those two little. Yeah, <laughs> it's their wicked. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's so many bad guys in the movie too. Right, Billy Zane is bad, but so is his like the guy that I think who was that guy? His butler who's like always like doing bad things with a gun. Yes. There's so many people in this movie. And then Victor Garber's in the movie? Victor Garber. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm like, oh, there's Victor Garber. Good for you, Victor Garber. He's so so bummed about his ship and the band just playing. The fact that, like, we were watching the ship sink, that's a third of this movie. And this movie's about the boat. Oh, oh, you know what? Okay, this is really, this is like very close to the beginning, but it kind of speaks to like the the crazy budget of this movie. I just feel like no scene was cut at all. When they are like, we've tracked down this 101-year-old woman who's in, was it Albuquerque? She's somewhere in Santa Fe. I don't know. Who knows? And they're like, yeah, let's get this old lady on a plane and a helicopter and move her into the ship because that's easier than and cheaper than one of us or you know we can't just cut to she's on the boat (laughs) like they had to put this woman this actress however old she was in a helicopter that by the way had cougar written on it i don't know if anybody saw that that part was such an expensive they get into the taxi cab moment when you're like, no, they could just walk out the door and then you cut to them being inside. They're like, no, we have to show her transportation or no one's going to buy that the lady got here. Well, is there an alternative backstory maybe that Bill Paxton's character was actually planning on murdering her once he got her on the boat? I thought he was going to kill her. 
That's what I thought. Fly her out. Let's wear, really wear her out. Maybe she'll just have a heart attack and save us trouble. And then, but before she goes, she'll tell us where this giant diamond is. Well, you know, he had the right instinct because that bitch threw it into the ocean. <laughs> I don't get why she threw it back in the ocean. Am I this dumb? I don't get the, I don't get the symbolic part. I don't get it. I didn't either. No, I also don't understand why she didn't sell it on the black market immediately yes me too why does she still have it i believe they're trying to make the point that she held on to this thing as inspiration for living your life to the fullest and so now that she was on this boat in the basic location of where she lost jack she was returning it to the ocean to him as sort of a thank you for inspiring me to leave my life and break these chains of slavery that i'm in with this relationship to Billy Zane. I think that's what it was, to, to signify that this material thing is not important. I think you're right. I think you're right, and I hate it. But it does raise the question of, you know, why wouldn't she at, say, circa 19, let's say 1936, when there's a huge depression, maybe that's when you sell that thing to be able to fund your piloting lessons that we you've clearly done because we have pictures of you in front of an airplane. Well, that was my thought. It was like, how does she afford all of this? She just gave up all her money. She doesn't have any skills. She married a different rich man named Zilly Bain. <laughs> you know, Aww. he's in this movie that I love that's not great, but I love it. It's Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey Jr. called Only You. And he's the 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 bad guy in there too. And oh, I just love a bad Billy. I just love Billy Zane as the guy you're not supposed to marry. All I know is Marissa Tomei has the cutest bob in it. And I had that haircut for... <laughs> A good 10 years. <laughs> Lisa Timmons, all movies by hair. Famous yes. bobs throughout yes. history. Yes. Celine Dion's bob. Yes. bob. Yes, Annette Benning. Let's keep going. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. I love Annette Benning. I love her too. Oh, God, I love her. She is another one that can do no wrong. She's like Kathy Bates. I could watch him all day, every day. Yes. So I think I know the answer to this. Where would you place this movie? Do you feel like it holds up these 23 years later as a must-see, let's all get excited about this movie? No. I think that if you were to take a 17-year-old and have them sit through this movie, they'd be like, this is lame. And for us, it wasn't because it was the zeitgeist. It was of the times. I just don't think it holds up. And I say this as someone who watched Alien for the first time in 2014. And I was blown away. Everything. It was a, that is a flawless, perfect movie. Yeah. Alien is next level. I'm with you. Alien holds up. And, and we're talking about big effects. Fantasy. It's a better story. Oh, it, it's a story. A story. Yeah, it's a story. <laughs> yeah. And the actors, these aren't bad actors in no. this movie. I'm not putting down, obviously, Kate Winslet or Leonardo DiCaprio, but it's like they don't transcend the material. The material is, I think, with James, it's just very broad. There's not a lot of subtlety in it at all, whereas like Alien is like, oof, it's all the subtlety of it. Let me digress a little bit on Alien. Had you seen Aliens? Nope. Nothing. I was completely... I had gone in blind. Oh, nice. That's the the strength of that movie is the complete unknown. And, and they decorate that set so that there are tubes and things hanging down that you start to freak out because you don't know if that's the alien or if that's just a tube or, a, you know what I mean, or a hose or things like that. And then it just gets more, it just peels itself back more and more. And it gets to be really just amazing. Yeah, and I agree. And to piggyback on that, that was before 
we had movies that were getting made with the hope of a sequel. It was a shock that this was a sequel, so it had to be a self-contained story. Yes, and I think it was made, Aliens was made many years after, I think, in the 80s, right? And so Alien came out, Aliens was 86, and Alien was 78. That's a long time for a sequel. Aliens is exciting, but it is another James Cameron movie that is so of its time in that it is a version of Rambo, basically, which is just shoot them up, big guns, people, you know, screaming and firing enormous weapons. And it's fine and it's it's fun and it's exciting, but it doesn't have the, the not to, to make a pun, but it doesn't have the bite of Alien. Alien sort of draws you in and, and traps you there. Oh, yeah. it's And also, that's a great story and an amazing cast. So Gorney Weaver is just all jawline. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> it's still like so inspiring to see a woman in such a power position, just smart, able, you know, they don't back track her at all. Like in so many movies, like she's just this force and it's like, yes, she's, she's a real person, but she's just a force. And she, her character proves herself through that movie because she's one of the junior members of the crew. And she keeps saying the right things and keeps taking the right action. And they kind of are dismissing her from remembering correct, remembering it correctly um, until finally it's, there's so few of them left that they kind of have to look to her to continue to lead them. So that's how we have to lead, Lisa. We need to kill all the men so that they have the ones left over will listen to um, us. Time out. Let me get my pen and my notepad. Hold on. <laughs> Thank you for joining us in the final episode. Final for James. I continue. <laughs> and then she'll drop some little trinket that I gave her 10 years ago into the LA river that she could have spent on something like flying lessons. I think as you were saying, like, had you seen this when it came out, you would have been in it and would have been extolling this movie. But given the passage of time, it's kind of the emperor has no clothes, but good luck convincing the world of that. They're always going to, I think, hold this movie in high esteem. Yeah. you. That's it. That's a great summarization of my experience with this movie. <laughs> It's one of those things where I feel like it's an equally impactful memory to have watched it with such crisp, clear hindsight, 2020 vision as it would have been to go in starry eyed and, and horny and excited. And yeah, I'm, you know what? It was worth the wait. I'm glad I waited. If you'd like to follow Jessica online, you can find her on Instagram at Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. And Elena is E-L-A-I-N-A. -A, Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. You can follow me on Instagram at James underscore Eason underscore music. The show is produced and edited by me, James Eason, and the theme music is composed by... Me, James Eason.